Hello, my friends from LifeGate Church. It's going to be great to be with you again this coming Sunday. Um, and so I'll be speaking live at the Padstow campus, but also online uh, to your other centre. So it's wonderful. I really thank Nathan for the opportunity to once again, it's been such a long time since I've been with you to share the word of God. And I'm just loving the series that you guys are covering, which talks about being all in, all in for Jesus with your text uh, from Colossians 1.16, that for in him all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. This fits in exactly with what I've been talking with my church about recently, and I'm going to share one of those messages with you today. And that's about the cost of discipleship. Does the cost of following Jesus far outweigh the benefit? That's going to be the question we're going to look at today. And I'm thrilled to be here and to share that. So I hope you enjoy the message. I hope you're blessed by that. I'm certainly going to be enjoying the fellowship with the LifeGate community today. So thanks for the invitation. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. Larry Galbraith here, pastor at Epping Church of Christ, or one of them. And my great privilege to take us into the second week of our brand new discipleship series, focusing on the key things uh, that we need to learn and do as disciples. Last week, we looked at the three musts of discipleship from Mark chapter eight. And today we're moving on. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 33, uh, with the question of what does it mean to count the cost of being a disciple. What does it mean to count the cost of being a disciple? So Jesus, as we examine your instructions to us as disciples, we pray dear God that you would, that you would do a great work within us, uh, a work of conviction, a work of calling, a work of recommitment of our lives to the followership of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his precious name, for your glory, we pray, amen. So let me read to you the scripture that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, turn to your Bibles or devices. We're in Luke chapter 14. We're picking it up at verse 25. And like last week, Jesus is addressing large crowds, but calling, calling them to a narrow band of commitment. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He then tells two stories. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he has uh, 
he is able to, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send out a delegation, while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears, let them hear. I'd ask us a question at the beginning of this message that I want to carry through this particular address. Uh, would we follow Jesus if the benefit did not outweigh the cost? Would we follow Jesus if the benefit did not outweigh the cost? I suppose I'm just asking Christianity, being a disciple, is it worth it? So I'm going to look at this passage in a different way. I'm going to look at like a cost-benefit analysis, if you will. And Jesus first talks about the cost, the cost of being a disciple. And although there's a large crowd and he's putting out the invitation, he really lays down uh, some really tough guidelines about what it means to follow him. And the first thing he talks about is relationships. And the second thing he talks about is suffering and even death. He talks to the crowd and he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Jesus is talking here about putting himself, his relationship with you to be the most important relationship you have on earth. You see, when Jesus talks like this, this is not something that's aspirational. This is not a, a position we arrive at as Christians while we journey along uh, the pathway of faith. That someday I hope to be like this. This is conditional from the outset. That Jesus makes this a fundamental prerequisite and requirement for us to then call ourselves disciples. This is the decision we make at the beginning, not something that we work towards as time goes on in our life. It's a baseline beginning point. And Jesus is basically saying here that we need to prioritise our relationship with him above any other relationship on earth. That, that is a very vexing proposition. And I would ask us to do some serious, serious reflection about that. Would you say that Jesus is the most important relationship that you have far above anything, any other member of your family, including spouse and children, brothers, sisters, mothers and fathers? Would you say that Jesus, your relationship with Christ, is far more important to you than these other relationships because Jesus is saying here, if it's not, you cannot be a disciple. I've seen a number of people have a physical reaction when that's been said in the past. And some of them immediately said, well, I'm not, I, there's no way that I'm putting Jesus into that position. And yet, is it not true that Jesus sets the parameters, Jesus sets the terms and conditions of discipleship. And he's using this extreme language, this hyperbole about hating 
So is Jesus saying that we should hate on our parents and hate on our brothers and sisters? I think there are maybe a few brothers and sisters out there that have done a bit of hating on each other or around the family, but that's actually not what he's talking about here. He's using this, this hyperbole, this, this language. It's quite, a, quite like the language he says, if your eye causes you to sin, what did Jesus say? Pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, what did Jesus say? Cut it off. Is he actually saying that we should walk around as dismembered members of the body of Christ? Of course not. But he's using this extreme language to get a strong point across. And so he's using this phrase uh, to do just that. But Matthew explains it in using the same, the same teaching, but different phraseology. He talks about love me more. So Matthew phrases it like this. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And of course, Luke adds other relationships like wives, brothers and sisters. And so we cannot be a disciple on our own terms. We can only follow the terms of Jesus. Well, how does that sit with us? That's a pretty tough teaching. Do we really put Jesus, pleasing Jesus, above pleasing other relationships in our lives? Do we really think that we ought to obey Jesus if it's causing major conflict with a loved one in our family? Uh, friends, do we value harmony at home more than harmony in heaven? Do we compromise our life? Do we, do we reprioritize things to please our family when we know that Jesus would have us do something else? Do we value harmony at home more than we value harmony in heaven? Jesus is calling us to that higher level of relationship with him. And of course, he then talks about taking up their own cross. Uh, we've talked about this in the past. And uh, Jesus often throws this into these discipleship passages. And what it really means as we follow the sacrificial life, it means that we need to learn to live each day sacrificially in love for God and love for others. We live sacrificially in our love towards God and others. But it also means that we are prepared to pay an ultimate price. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about the possibility that you would one day pay an ultimate price for following Christ. Would we have the courage? How would we cope in that moment of time? You see, to die for Christ takes courage and faith in a moment of time. Then we are with, then we are with him forever. But to live for Christ takes courage and faith for a lifetime. To die for Christ in a moment in time, to live for Christ for a lifetime. And so we become living sacrifices, following Jesus selflessly. And so in our cost-benefit analysis that we're looking at today, would we, is the, the continuing question, would we follow Jesus if the benefit did not outweigh the cost? Is following Christ worth it? Well, in this situation, the person was going to build a tower. But if the cost was worth it, they'd have a tower. The person was thinking about waging war, but if the cost was able to be paid in a war, they would have won the war, gained peace, and who knows what else with that particular 
conquest. Friends, we do a cost-benefit analysis all the time in our life, all the time. Uh, we encourage people that are at school and university to study so that they might get their ATAR, so that they might get their certificate, they might get their diploma, they might get their bachelor, they might get a doctorate, but it requires a cost to be paid, a cost to be paid to get qualifications. Uh, we know that if we want a car, we want to have the freedom to go wherever we want, wherever we want. We want to have our own set of wheels. There's a cost. There's a cost to that. And a con I find a constant cost in keeping up with the repairs to the car. There's an ongoing cost to be paid. <laughs> At least there is in my house about the cars that we drive. And if you have a house, there's an enormous cost to be paid if you purchase property. Uh, but then there's that sense of security and that you're not at the will of at the whim of some landlord who just turfs you off out of the place because it doesn't suit them to have it rented to you for a particular time. They want to up the rent or they want to move back in. And so people count that cost and many Australians pay that price. And of course, there's training. There's physical training where people enjoy the benefit of health, uh, well-being, uh, sport and the camaraderie that comes with that. Uh, I like my footy, and it's footy season now, and I like watching the footy finals. I, yes, I am an NRL Bogan Buffhead. That's me. I quite like it. But one of the great mystifying things that happens in this camaraderie of the locker room is the after-game celebration where they sing these preposterous songs, always out of tune, very often poorly written, and then they seem to smash everything up and down and... and Drink is going everywhere and stuff's being poured over each other and it kind of looks like the monkeys have gone berserk in Taronga Park Zoo. But there's this sense of ecstasy where they're enjoying this, that they've paid the price on the, on the oval and now they're celebrating in a way that I find rather barbaric but somewhat amusing. But that's what they're doing. They've paid the price and they're celebrating. It's the strangest ritual I've ever seen. Would we pay the price of following Christ if the benefit didn't outweigh the cost. So is following Christ worth it? Well, I want to say that following Christ is, of course, worth it. Let me just read very quickly some of these benefits to you. Yes, the following Christ is far outweighs the cost. The benefit is far greater than the cost. We have forgiveness. We have peace beyond understanding. We have a purpose for our lives. We have reconciliation with God, once being enemies, then becoming friends, then becoming adopted children. And then, of course, we become co-heirs with Christ. We have eternal life. We have the Holy Spirit, the strengthener, the counselor, the reminder, the convictor. We have the access to the throne of grace to receive mercy and help in time of need. We have the advocacy of Christ and the advocacy of the Holy Spirit in our prayer life. We're never alone. We're never forsaken. We're unconditionally loved at all time. Yes, the benefit of following Jesus far outweighs the cost because we share an eternity with him. And Jesus said to the man dying next to him, even in his last minute decision, today you will be with me in paradise. See, when Jesus describes the reward for those eternally that follow him, he uses practical terms that we can understand. He un we understand the word paradise. Jesus uses the phrase like wedding reception, king's feast, uh, an eradication of all pain, suffering, tears and grief. And of course, the father's house in which there are many rooms. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9 
the writer, Paul, is talking about what it's going to be like to be with Jesus forever. And have we, can, can we even imagine what it's like? And he's, he's just, he says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Do you love him? Do you follow Jesus? He has prepared things for you for eternity that will blow your mind. You cannot imagine, you cannot see, you cannot in any way, shape or form imagine these great things. We love a show, uh, Shelley and I very much love a show. Shelley loves it even more than me. It's called Escape to the Chateau. Uh, it is about Dick and Angel Strawbridge. They are very quirky and very wonderful English people. And they have their two children, wonderfully named Dorothy and Arthur, and they are renovating a 45-bed chateau in France called Chateau de la Motte, a 45-bedroom chateau. Uh, They bought the house uh, for about 500,000 Australian dollars. It's got a moat. Uh, It's got all kinds of outbuildings. It's got a, a walled garden, a private forest, and it even has got glamping uh, things. They've got these little, uh, on their moat, they have these little pontoons and they've got these glamping domes all over it. Uh, they have large wedding feasts there, incredible wedding feasts that cost between thirty-eight dollars and $68,000. It's lavish. Uh, Dick Strawbridge, who can do just about anything that anyone could imagine. He's the chef. He's the person that conducts the wedding. He's just about everything. And of course, his wife, uh, Angel, is the one that decorates things. So they just have the most lavish things. And they have these most incredible rooms. You can see them on the screen next to me. But I want to tell you that they, that shadow beyond, it is amazing. It is nothing compared It is nothing compared to the rooms that God has prepared for you, his followers of Jesus Christ. The the lavish, unbelievably $68,000 spread of food uh, that Dick has cooked up is nothing compared to the banqueting table that the Lord has laid out for you. One day you will most certainly say, into his banqueting house and his banner over me is love. He has brought me into his banqueting house and his banner over me is love. And we can also recite, of course, in Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yes, the price we pay as disciples is absolutely worth it. Wherever you are, whoever you're with, I want you to say these words after me. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now I want you to really annoy your neighbours. Now I want you to really annoy the person on the lounge next to you because you're going to say this loudly and with conviction. Are you with me? Just do it, okay? Just do it. Say it loudly. Say, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is following Christ worth it? Is the price worth paying? Absolutely and without question it is. The price of discipleship is far outweighed by the reward and the benefits of having Jesus. The privilege and the pleasure and the joy of knowing God and enjoying him forever is the greatest experience any person can have. Thanks for checking out this message. My name is Andrew and I'm the online campus pastor at LifeGate. And I would like to invite you to join our online community. Here are three ways that you can take that step. First, if you're a new Christian, we have a bunch of resources to help you get started. Second, why don't you make the most of our online campus by joining our online group that meets on Zoom every Wednesday night at 8.15. Third, join our Facebook community to connect with others within our community and be more engaged in the day-to-day. -day. To take any of those next steps, head to lifegate.org.au slash online. See you soon.